So when we left off, it, it, we are in Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation chapter 13, we are introduced to the Antichrist. We got a lot of details on the Antichrist. We were introduced to the false prophet. We were also introduced to the mark of the beast. Now, the mark of the beast uh, that takes place, when no one can buy or sell unless they receive the mark of the beast, that takes place at the middle of the tribulation period. The tribulation period is a period of seven years. You have three and a half years, the first half of the tribulation, and then you have the last three and a half years, the second half of the tribulation, where the really bad judgments take place. But right there in the middle of the tribulation period is when the Antichrist demands to be worshipped as God. The false prophet says you must worship him and you must receive the mark of the beast and that no one may buy or sell unless they receive the mark of the beast. It also appears that it's about that same time that the events of Revelation chapter 14 suddenly turn into full scale. That is the time of the 144,000, I guess you could call them, roaring lions of the book of Revelation, uh, really let their voice be heard. They've already been heard in the first half of the tribulation. From this point on, oh man, it is, it is, uh, everything's, uh, off, everything is, is on the table, I should say. Uh, the Antichrist is going to rear up to kill all the Jews that he possibly can, and these 144,000 are going to be out proclaiming the gospel. So let's get a look at these 144,000 Jewish men, see who they are, where they come from, and what they do. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, Then I looked, says John, and behold a lamb, that would be the Lord Jesus Christ, standing on Mount Zion, and with him, 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were... Sorry. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> you know what? Sundays can be so interesting. So where was I? We're in chapter 7? No. What, was I in verse 3? Yeah, that's where I was. So let's pick up there. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault, before the throne of God. Wow. So these 144,000 that we are told of here, we are first introduced to them back when we were in chapter 7. And when we were in chapter 7, we learned that these 144,000 come from the 12 tribes of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. Uh, we also learn. Uh, from chapter 7, that they have a specific 
purpose. Uh, Chapter 7 in the book of Revelation, the Bible tells us this. uh, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So these are the, this is the word of the angels to the apostle John. He hears this. The 144,000 are going to be sealed by God. Where? On their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed on their foreheads. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Um, I taught on this subject pretty extensively when we were in chapter 7, so I'm not going to go back into chapter 7 and redig up some things. If you're interested in, in that, you can, you can get that message on, online. But uh, with this in mind, the 144,000, uh, the tribes of Israel, they are sealed on their foreheads. There's three observations we can make about these 144,000. The first one is, Obvious, they experienced the protection of God. Uh, Look again at verse 1. Then I looked, John writes, and behold, a lamb, again that's the Lord, standing on Mount Zion uh, with him, 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. What did chapter 7 say? I just showed you the verse up there. Sealed with the father's name on their foreheads. So note here a a few things that we find out just in verse 1. We note, A, they are in the presence of the Lamb. Uh, This is a promise for all of God's children. God's children from the past, God's children in the present, and God's children in the future, including these 144,000. But this is a promise for all of God's children. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus himself said, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, uh, with these 144,000 Jewish men. This is during the tribulation period. We find out that they are in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord is in the presence of them. This is greatly reassuring. Again, I, I saw a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him, 144,000. He's with them. They are with him. That's greatly reassuring. This also reminds me of the book of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those guys? They were in the fiery furnace. Who was in the fiery furnace with them? The Lord was with them in the fiery furnace. They were with the Lord, and the Lord was with them. As Jesus was with those men in the fiery furnace, he is also with these 144,000 that are being protected from the fires of the tribulation and the persecution uh, from the world and the persecution from the Antichrist. Understand this. You and I can read the news every day, and we can see the persecution that is increasing against Jews and against Christians. Christians are constantly slaughtered throughout the world, and anti-Semitism is ever-increasing. So the persecution against the Jews and against anyone who comes to faith in the Lord during the tribulation period is going to come not just from the Antichrist, but it will come from the world. It's going to come from the media, just like we are witnessing now, things coming from the media. These things are only going to increase. It's going to come from the various political realms. The pressure will be there. 
But what else do we know about these 144,000? Well, A, they're in the presence of the Lamb. B, they're standing in the place of victory with the Lamb. Notice verse 1, where are they standing? Right here. I looked and behold a Lamb standing on Mount Zion with him 144,000. The the Lord Jesus Christ is there at Mount Zion, and also these 144,000 are there uh, at Mount Zion. Uh, Most of you have heard of the term Zionist or Zionism, I'm guessing. Have you heard that before? Okay. So you know what it is? Real simple. Here's a, a definition. Zionism is the national movement of Jews and Jewish culture that supports the creation of a Jewish homeland in the territory defined as the land of Israel. Um, Most people in the world don't like this. they got issues with it. The UN has huge issues with it. Uh, It seems like the current presidential administration in the United States is very supportive of this. I don't know what's going to come next. Uh, Just so everybody knows, if this message comes up in the future, we are in uh, August of 2018. I'm convinced that uh, when this current presidential administration changes, uh, this Zionism thing is not going to go over very well with the next uh, presidential administration, Uh, however that may be, whoever it may be. But uh, Zionism recognizes that Jews have a right to the land of Israel, a right to their homeland. You go back in time to Theodore Herzl, who recognized, you know what, we need, he saw the persecution of the Jews back in the 1800s and realized, you know what, we need a homeland. Basically, we need a place that we can call our own. The Jews have been scattered throughout the world uh, since the great diaspora during the Roman Empire and then Hadrian in 135 AD, but now the Lord has been gathering them back. And people say, well, this Zionism is just, a, is just a, a thing that's created by men. It is not a thing that's created by men. God is the original Zionist. Did you know that? If you don't believe me, if anybody out there watching doesn't believe me, look up the term Zion in the Bible. It's, and it's synonymous with Jerusalem. And you, and you find out God is the original Zionist, Jesus is a Zionist, and he is here standing in the, on the Mount of Zion, or, or you could say Mount Zion. Uh, but with that, a lot of people just hate the idea of the Jews being gathered back into the land. You constantly have threats from Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran to eliminate the Jews from the land. And uh, coming also uh, uh, through the business world, you have the BDS movement, which is boycott divest and sanction anything that comes out of Israel. Now this is foolish. If you have a if you have a cell phone, if you have a smartphone, if you're going to boycott everything coming out of Israel, take your phone and throw it away. In fact, there's a whole lot of other products that are coming out of Israel that we use. Did you know that the drip system, if you're a landscaper, a gardener, if you have a drip system in your yard, that was invented in Israel. You start looking at these things, well rip out your drip system. And let all your, imagine doing that in Hemet or San Jacinto. Take out your drip system. You think you got a brown yard now? Try it then and see what happens, right? 
So, but you look at this. Here's the best way you can challenge the, boy, the, the BDS movement. Uh, Olivier Melnick said it when he was here not too long ago. You go onto the BDS website, Boycott, Divest, and Sanction website. You go on their website, and it tells you all of the products to boycott. Don't buy. And you know what you do? You just buy. Buy, start buying them all. Tell your friends, buy these. It's a great thing. I mean, what a great, they, they give you a shopping list right there and tell you where to go. When Jesus returns, the Bible tells us this is how it's going to go about. Uh, the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two. I wish I had a picture of the Mount of Olives up here for you, but I forgot to pull that up for you, so please forgive me. But how many of you have been to Israel before? So if you've been to Israel, it's really easy for you to picture. You're up there on the Mount of Olives. Uh, you, you look across the Kidron Valley. And across the Kidron Valley, you see the Gold Dome. You see the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount that was existing in the days of Jesus. The Temple would have been up on the Temple Mount. So you have Mount of Olives up here. Here is Mount Zion over here. You have the Kidron Valley here. So here's how it's going to work when Jesus returns. He's coming back on his white horse. And we who are with him, who have been caught up to meet the Lord in there, we've been raptured, man, we are coming with him. It's going to be awesome. The Antichrist and the false prophet have gathered in the, in the area of Armageddon, the, the uh, uh, Mount Megiddo, the valley below Armag Mount Megiddo. They've gathered there to make war against the Lord with the armies of the world. But the Lord is coming back. We are coming with him. A sword comes out of his mouth. She wipes them all out. He casts the false prophet and the Antichrist into the lake of fire. He goes over to the Mount of Olives, sets his feet there. The Mount of Olives is split in two. And then he goes over to where the temple is and he rules and reigns from Jerusalem. That's how it goes down. And here, and here we see these 144,000 that are standing with the Lord on Mount Zion. Jesus is the Zionist, and Mount Zion is the place of victory. As such, I am labeled as a Christian Zionist. I am labeled as a fundamentalist Zionist, and even one of those fundamental uh, Bible believers. Now, I know for a fact, because I, 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 I see the blogs, I see the comments people make, from our Sunday nights and from the various YouTubes I have out there, whenever I talk about pro-Israel, pro-Jew, anything at all, I, I, I can assure you there are all kinds of comments that start coming across our board saying how evil I am, uh, you're a Jew lover, you're, you're leading people astray, Jews need to be eliminated from the face of the earth. I'm sure it's happening right now as people are watching on the internet. But the bottom line is this. I believe that the Bible is true. I believe that the Bible is the inspired and fallible word of God. I believe Jesus will return again to Mount Zion, the place of victory. I believe we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's God's prayer request. Psalm 122. God says pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So being that this is a biblical position and the devil hates it, it is no wonder why the world is so opposed to it. And here's something else. When you point out to someone 
who says they know the Bible and they believe all of the Bible, when you have places in the Bible where you have the promises of God restoring the Jews to the land, you have the promise of, uh, of Zion, you have promises like we're looking at tonight, 144,000, and somebody, but the people don't believe that. They will come to a passage like that over and over and over again. They'll say, well, it re doesn't really mean that. That's the place where you have to take it symbolically. It doesn't really mean what it says there. Oh, the rest of the Bible means what it says, but it doesn't mean that. Why? Because the devil hates this subject. The reason he hates it is because he knows that Jesus is going to return, and he's going to return to the Jewish people, just like the Bible says. And it bothers him because he knows his kingdom is rapidly coming to an end. So if he can eliminate all of the Jewish people from the world, hence anti-Zionism, if he can eliminate the Jewish people from the city of Jerusalem, hence let's divide the land, let's get rid of the Jews, then in Satan's mind, he has a chance of winning this whole thing. It ain't going to happen that way. It's a spiritual battle that we live in. I better move on. So A, they are in the presence of the Lamb. B, they are standing in the place of victory with the Lamb. C, they have the print of God's name on their foreheads. Now I want you to think of this. At the end of Revelation chapter 13, everyone must receive uh, the mark of the beast in order to buy or sell. It's, it's an act of worship. Um, I, I was asked yesterday uh, uh, about the mark of beast, and I was talking about technology, and, and, uh, and somebody asked me the question, well, um, it, it, technology is so advanced right now, and it's everywhere, and we got to use it. Um, I mean, you aren't getting by without it, basically. Uh, it's difficult, too, anyways. They said, well, have we already entered into that time? No, we haven't. In fact, right now, you could receive some type of identification on your right hand right now. Did you know that? It is not yet the time of the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast described in Revelation chapter 13 is when a person makes a decision to worship the Antichrist. At that point, oh, that technology is going to be used to keep you in line. Um, here's this article. I've got to fix this. This is driving me nuts. It's a margin issue. You know what margins are? Okay, good, because you're human beings. Um, so here it is. Right? So this, I showed you this earlier, remember? Airports hope to make facial scanning the new standard within four years despite privacy concerns. All right, so I saw that earlier. Uh, technology is moving forward. Everything's being scanned. I shared this with you when we were in Revelation chapter 13. A couple things I didn't point out. I wanna, I, I, but I, I, just bear with me. It's only take about two minutes. But Matt Ward writes this, it's no overstatement to say that we stand on the brink of a technological revolution that's going to change the world forever. This technological transformation is happening right now. We will see significant change occur, not over the next couple of decades, but within the next couple of years. Very few people in today's busy world are aware of just how much their lives are about to change and how unavoidable and irrevocable this change is going to be. And this change is going to happen within the next five years, he writes. By 2023, you might remember this if you're with us in Revelation 13. By 2023, scientists and sociologists believe that 80%, that's only five years away, 80% of all the people on this planet will have some form of digital presence. That's a lot of people. According to a recently published report, 
digital life is becoming inextricably linked with a person's physical life, so important is this digital online life that it's widely accepted, Matt Ward writes, that very soon a person in the very short-term future will not be able to buy or sell if they do not even have a basic digital presence. They believe that this threshold may be reached at some point, possibly even by 2022. So you look at that, the digital, uh, you've got to have some kind of digital presence. I use my, my debit card whenever I can. I went to uh, pay for uh, registration on my truck the other day, Friday. I don't carry cash. I don't even have a checkbook anymore. You can't do that still because apparently the DMV still operates in 1930 or something. I can't figure it out. So the lady there goes, well, we need, and it was through AAA I went for the DMV, and she goes, well, the DMV requires cash or check. I said, who cares? I said, do you have a checkbook? No, but, but I, was like, I was like, well, who has these things anymore? I mean, I was so dumbfounded. Um, uh, apparently, you have a checkbook. I, I, oh, cash. Well, some people stuff. I don't have any cash. My wife has it all. I don't, I don't carry that. Um, at least that's what the bumper sticker says. Uh, but the digital thing, I, I, I'm all about digital. Uh, as with my friend James Cadiz yesterday, he says he pays everything with his watch. And so this is it, right? So everything's there. But pretty soon it's going to be basically required. Very, very soon, the whole world really will be as one digitally. He writes, nobody will be able to escape from it. Soon the means to analyze your personal data will become more widely available, and it will begin to be used against you. Of that, there is no doubt. So we see this coming about, and um, everything coming together like that, and in Revelation chapter 13, uh, we see that you're going to be identified if you worship the Antichrist with the mark of the beast. But here in Revelation uh, chapter 14, we know that we are identified, uh, or these 144,000 are identified with, they're sealed with the, the name of the Lord on their foreheads. But for all of God's people, all of God's people, his name shall be on there on our foreheads. That's a praise report. So, in fact, we even get a new name when we get to heaven. So that's pretty cool. I mean, it's just interesting. The Antichrist says, I'm going to seal you. The Lord says, I'm going to put my name on you. And the Lord says, I'm putting my, you are mine. In fact, the moment you receive Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? That's a praise report. Because I get asked a lot, um, can I lose my salvation? I don't believe you can lose your salvation. But that question usually comes about because somebody totally messed up. And they're wondering, uh, about something. But there's some people that uh, when it comes to that issue, they were never saved in the first place. So it appears they might have lost their salvation. But the, the reality of it is this. If you are saved in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are sealed by his Holy Spirit. And his name is going to be written on all of our foreheads. In fact, we will even also be given a new uh, name. I better get moving. I said three things, right? We're only on number one. Number two, they express the praise of God. Look at this, verse two. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, like the voice of loud thunder. So what do we have here? A, we have the sound of God's voice. Uh, Psalm 29 tells us almost the exact same thing that we just read in chapter 14, verse two. 
In Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. What God is saying to these 144,000, we do not know. But we know he has this loud thundering voice. And it's a powerful voice. We are not told what he says, but my guess is he is letting anybody knows who can hear and is listening and is able to understand the voice of the Lord, that he is saying, these are my 144,000 and I approve of these men. Think of the time in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 17. While Peter was still speaking, remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Remember that? Yeah, Peter, James, John, they're up there with Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration, while Peter was still speaking. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a loud voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces, and they were greatly afraid. Uh, I don't know exactly what the words were to the 144,000. I know what the words were about Jesus here with the apostles. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And I'm thinking the 144,000 who are sealed with the name of God. He's saying these are the ones I have set apart. And I also look forward to this day too. If you are one of God's children, oh, I hope this for me. I hope this for you. I hope this for everybody who comes to this church. Where we will hear the words of the Lord one day, Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I love that. Don't you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? It doesn't mean perfect. Oh, you are perfect, good and faithful servant. Don't say that. We all mess up, but I praise God for his forgiveness. A good man falls down seven times, the Bible tells us, but he gets back up. Back up. The number seven is the number of completion. Number, that means a good man, he falls down a bunch. That's basically what that means. But if he knows the Lord and the, and the, and the Lord has him and he's sealed with the Lord, he's going to get back up. He's going to press forward. And may we press forward together, looking for the time when we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So A, we have the sound of God's voice. B, it's the singing of God's praise. At the end of verse 2 says, And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. I, I, I wonder what it was what it is, what it will be, I should say, that they're going to be singing. No one can learn it. It kind of, kind of makes me a little bit jealous. Well, I, I kind of want to know. Well, apparently, I'm not going to know. But, uh, but it's going to be pretty cool, whatever it is. But as the 144,000 have their feet firmly planted on Mount Zion, their praise takes them right into the presence of God. As we read here, they sing a new song before the throne. It's a certainly a reminder for you and I, in our praise and worship, we really can transport ourselves and be heard in the heavenly places. When we're singing, we're, we're singing to the Lord, I read a, a quote today, it said something like uh, somebody at, at a church was complaining, well, I really uh, didn't like the worship 
the, the music at church today, and somebody said, well, we weren't singing to you, we were singing to Jesus. And uh, I, I like that. Because, man, there's so many people, I don't like the drums, I don't like the guitar, I don't like that person's voice. Oh, look at the way they look. Oh, I'm just so turned off by that church music. <laughs> Praise God we're not singing to you. <laughs> Spurgeon said, to be wrapped in praise to God is the highest state of the soul. To receive the mercy for which we praise God for is something. But to be wholly clothed with praise to God for the mercy received is far more. When you bow in adoration, you are at your highest. I love that. When you are praising God, you are at your highest. I can also encourage you in this way. If you're at a place and you're thinking, man, I'm down and out, and, and, and it's kind of a, everything's just kind of a drag right now. You know, find some worship music that does work for you and draw you into the presence of the Lord and praise the Lord. You might recall in the Old Testament when Saul, King Saul was having a really bad day. David comes in, he brings his harp, and David began to play his harp, and the demons that were oppressing Saul left. It's like, oh, I needed that. It's that praise music. It's that worship music. We need it. It takes you, it, it, it takes you into the presence of the Lord. Um, not all Christian music is going to do that for you. Um, but that's another story. <laughs> so number one, they experienced the protection of God. Number two, they expressed the praise of God. Number three, they excel in the purpose of God. Uh, to this point, we haven't looked at the identity of these 144,000, other than obviously they are Jews, and we know they are men, and uh, we know from various reasons. One reason is because we're told that they did not defile themselves with women. Uh, but here we find out a little bit more about who they are and what they do. Here we understand their purpose in God, or the purpose that God has called them to and why he sealed them. Verse 4 tells us, these are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are the ones, these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So who do you think these 144,000 would be? Are they alive today? All right, so let's just get, get a look at this. Just get some thoughts. Uh, um, how close are we? Let me put it another way. How close do you think we are to the tribulation period? Uh, it just seems like it does. So many things are converging. So let's say we're raptured tonight, and the tribulation starts, let's say, in six months. Just throwing that out there. Um, and, and by the way, just for the record, I did not say the rapture was happening tonight. I did not say the tribulation is starting in six months because I know how people get and then they get labeled. I didn't say that. But let's just throw it out there hypothetically. That's how things go. So that means that we are super, super close. Then that means the 144,000 have got to be somewhere on this planet as of right now. Because they're old enough to be of marriage age, hence they didn't defile themselves with women, um, right? They're, and they're virgins, so it implies these are marriage age men. So just think about this. 
Uh, these, there's a picture of uh, some of the, uh, the Heredia or Hasidic Jews at the Western Wall, the Kotel in, in uh, Jerusalem. Um, I've talked a little bit about them before, and they're highly <clears throat> religious. It, it, they're like, this is my perception, they're like the Pharisees of the, the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, before he was converted, would fall into this category. The Apostle Paul hated Christians. He persecuted Christians. The Apostle Paul also did something else. He knew the Word of God extremely well. I want you to think about this group of men. This group of men, they study the Old Testament, they study the Torah all the time. Uh, that's almost all they ever do. When they're awake, they are studying. They go to yeshiva and they are studying. Uh, so with that as an idea, today in Israel a large percentage of the population are not like that. Uh, a, a large percentage, the, the majority of the population in Israel consider themselves secular Jews, not practicing. They're a little bit honest with it. You know, in America, you ask an American, um, are you a Christian? Well, of course I'm a Christian. I was born here. Well, do you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Well, of course not. Who would believe that? Well, are you a Christian? Well, of course I am. So you're like, you know, whatever. I celebrate Christmas. I celebrate Easter. So therefore, I'm going to heaven. You know, that's kind of the thought in America. Um, if you were to start getting the polls of who really believes the Jesus of the Bible, the numbers are going to shrink enormously. That's similar to Israel uh, with the thought of Judaism, except they're a little bit more honest. They'll just tell you, no, I'm secular. I don't practice these things. Uh, so the majority, uh, just like we do with Christmas and Easter, uh, people get religious for a couple weeks. Uh, in, in Israel, secular Jews, they'll celebrate the feast days, they'll celebrate Passover, they'll celebrate the Day of Atonement, and so forth. But the majority of Jews, by far, are not uh, the Hasidic or the Haredi. These would be the ultra-Orthodox. Uh, the last numbers I checked on the group of Hasidic Jews or Haredi Jews uh, worldwide is about 1.5 million. Uh, the largest population of them are in Israel. Then you have New York, you have Los Angeles, you have Pockets, Miami, uh, you have uh, places in France, places in Europe, and, and scattered in various places of, of the world. But 1.5 million of all ages. So you figure from newborn all the way up to somebody that's really, really old, about 1.5 million. Uh, here with Revelation 14, you need 144,000. Uh, but the Haredi... Uh, a definition would be one who trembles in awe of God. They really hold to the law that is in uh, the, the Bible. Haredi have children at three times the rate of secular Jews. It's not uncommon for a uh, Haredi family to have ten kids. Uh, when you're in the area of Jerusalem, you'll see a family walking down the street, mom and dad, and a whole bunch of kids with them. Pretty common sight. The Haredi or Hasidic families are increasing at an exponential rate in comparison with other Jews. Uh, young uh, men and women that fall into this category <coughs> that are at the age of being able, uh, marriage material, they don't date like we do in Western culture in, in America. They meet for coffee or whatever 
in the public place. Uh, they spent hours talking, never kissing. There's no PDA. You know what that is? Public display of affection. They don't do that kind of stuff. PDA. Which brings us back to the 144,000. If Jesus is returning soon, and there's got to be 144,000 that have not defiled themselves with women, where are these 144, and they have to be Jewish men, where are they going to come from? Uh, hmm. Well, let's think about this. They study the word all the time, like the Apostle Paul did. These 144,000, understand this, they have to know the word of God. As it was with the Apostle Paul when he was saved, he's on the road to Damascus. He gets knocked off his horse. He's blinded. Remember that? And then, uh, who are you persecuting, says the Lord. And, um, uh, and uh, he says, you're persecuting me. You know, he's going after the children of God. The Lord says, you're persecuting me. The Apostle Paul, he's blinded, but then the blinders were taken off. The Apostle Paul, his name is changed from Saul to Paul. He was a persecutor of Christians. He knew the word of God extremely well. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He is taught by the finest rabbi in all of the land. But suddenly the blinders were taken off spiritually and physically, and he could spiritually see Yeshua is the Lord. But he had the word of God implanted in his heart and in his head. So at the moment the blinders were taken off, but a boom, but a bing. What happens? You got half the New Testament written by him. These men study the Word of God all the time. They're in a position, if they are staying according to their laws and traditions, they are not going to defile themselves with women. They have the knowledge. Uh, Revelation chapter, or excuse me, Romans chapter 11 tells us that. Uh, the time is coming when it's all going to wind down and God has blinded Israel in part until the time of the Gentiles is full. It, it, it appears that the Lord is working with the Gentile world as a whole, an age of grace as he is right now. The rapture takes place and suddenly he turns his attention to the Jews and the Jewish nation for the 70th week of Daniel. The final seven-year period, 70th week of Daniel. It's not the 70th week of the Gentiles. Gentiles will be saved during the tribulation period, I believe, but he's working with the Jewish people again. There has to be 144,000 Jewish men that don't defile themselves with women, that are sold out on studying the Word of God. Their blinders will come off. Right now, blindness in part has happened to Israel. It, it appears to me, I, and, and I am not saying this as a fact, I get this as speculation, but these 144,000 Jewish men must come from somewhere. They have to come from somewhere. They have to be reserved for that day. The rapture takes place. They're going to start preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the beginning of the tribulation. We know that from Revelation chapter 7. And they are sealed with God. Nobody can touch them. These are men that are the untouchables. They're going to be saved during the first half of the tribulation. They're going to be kept from harm during the second half of the tribulation. And they are going to be going around the world preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, all that to say, I'm just saying, these 144,000 men got to come from somewhere. There's about 1.5 million already right now, all different age groups. But they're coming. 
that where they're coming from? I don't know. But you know me, I always think I'm right. So, But notice this about them. Uh, they are saved. Hence verse 4, not saved now. In, in the sense of salvation. Uh, but they are saved. They, verse 4, they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And it tells us here in verse 4, they are redeemed from the earth. So they're not saved spiritually. As of right now, they are not yet forgiven. Whoever these 144,000 are. They do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. They've rejected Jesus as Messiah. But in the beginning of the tribulation period, their blinders come off and they receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and they understand Yeshua is their Savior. So they get saved. What else? We know they are also sanctified. Sanctified means they are set apart, obviously set apart, to God and for God. As such, they are sexually chaste. They follow the Lamb without hesitation. They have no lies on their lips, and they are blameless. It doesn't mean... They have no lies on their lips now. No. Doesn't mean they're blameless now. No. But at that moment, the moment they are sealed with the Lord and they understand that the, who the Yeshua is, at that point they are living absolutely righteously by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, they are sent. Um, they are sent. The Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says that he will not return until the Gospel is preached to the entire world. Now, many people interpret that to mean the Gospel is going to be preached to every single language in our time by men, as it is right now, uh, before the Lord Jesus returns. And when, when the Lord Jesus returns, he's not talking about the rapture, he's talking about the end of the tribulation period. So people have told me, I've had many missionaries tell me, the Lord can't be returning for 100, 200, 300 years because there's no way the Bible's going to be translated into all these different languages to still reach all these different people groups. Some people groups have never been reached yet, and they still won't be reached for a long time by men as we know right now so they say so jesus can't be returning for a long time so you're wasting your time talking about bible prophecy here's what i showed them is this right here that prophecy that jesus says the gospel will be preached to the entire world and then i'll return that prophecy is fulfilled by two things these hundred actually three things these 144,000 jewish men that are going throughout the world proclaiming the gospel of the lord jesus christ this, that prophecy is also fulfilled by the two witnesses in Jerusalem. Remember them? Uh, from Revelation chapter 11, during the entire, the entire first half of the tribulation period, they are preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then also, we're going to see next time, there's an angel of the Lord that goes all around the world just in case there's a people group that does not yet hear the gospel to make sure that the world hears the gospel. And you want to know what happens after that angel? It's bad. That is when it gets really bad towards the end of the tribulation period. But as the fulfillment of Jesus' words, the gospel being preached to the world, the 144,000, the two witnesses in Jerusalem, and the angel. Um, verse 4 tells us also, we're almost done here, that these are the first fruits. It indicates 
that these 144,000 are the first of many more to come. Many are going to be saved through the preaching of the gospel of these 144,000. In the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 11, the Bible tells us this is how it shakes down. The people who know their God shall be strong. By the way, in Daniel 11, that's speaking of the Jewish people. Uh, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits, and those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Uh, this application, some people say it applies to Alexander the Great and the time of the Great Tribulation. That's the way I see it. Some say only the time of the Great Tribulation period. Some say only Alexander the Great. But I look at this, and I think, well, definitely applies to the days that are coming in the future, there are going to be those who are strong. God is going to make them strong, and they will instruct many in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, some say that a great harvest of souls is coming right now. Some say the greatest harvest of souls in the history of the world is about ready to happen at any moment before the rapture. I don't believe it. I believe it's possible a great harvest of souls could come. A great harvest. However, I believe the greatest harvest of souls that's ever going to come on this earth happens during the tribulation at the preaching of these 144,000 who are sealed, saved, uh, sanctified, and they are sent. Um, allow me, and we'll close with this thought, to close by being reminded that these men are sealed. No harm can come to them. They are untouchable. How many of them were there, were, were there when we began in chapter 7? Way back if you're with us in chapter 7. How many of these Jewish men were there? There are 144,000, right? There are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. 12,000 uh, 12, would be 144,000. We come to chapter 14. How many are there? There's still 144,000. God does not lose one. So it is with anyone who is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a promise for all. If you are in Christ, you are sealed. The book of Hebrews chapter 13, uh, Jesus himself says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What does that mean? I will never, ever, ever leave you. Let me put it another way. You messed up last night? You're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? You're feeling like you lost your salvation? Jesus says, um, I, I don't lose any. I don't lose any of the 144,000. If you're a believer in me, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Repent and get back on your horse and go out there with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also know this, Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen.